All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Gears and Beers, the live segment of Life Short Live Free podcast with three freedom-loving capitalist pigs talk about gear we have, gear we want, industry news, and whatever else pops up in conversation. Tonight, I'm your host, Sam. Vox is gone again, so I'm going to be going to be uh, heading up this ship. I'm the owner of Shyworks, and through the miracle of technology, I'm also joined by Johnson, a resident chicken and firearms enthusiast, as well as Preston from Creative Arms, a rifle and suppressor manufacturer based right here in Iowa. How the hell are you guys doing tonight? Fantastic. Excellent. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am, uh, we call this Gears and Beers, so generally I have a drink. Tonight I'm drinking a little bit of... Uh, Woodford Reserve. That's that uh that whiskey my my customer dropped off to me a while ago, and I'm I'm really digging this. This is pretty good shit. Johnson, how about you? What are you What are you sipping on? Oh, just the old typical Bud Light. Just a boring guy. You're so boring. I know. Jeez. I you know I haven't been to uh, beer on Floyd in quite a while. Um. Yeah. I, I need to get back over there because they've always got the good stuff over there. I've never made it over there yet. I need to do that. But um, Preston, hey, man, thanks for joining us. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. How about you guys? Just just peachy, just peachy. Um, before I forget, we do have some, <coughs> some sponsors on this show. Um, the first one is Ballistic Imagery, Photography and Videography, Hard-Hitting image, Imagery, Making an Impact on Your Company. Find them on Facebook and ballisticimagery.com. So that print you see in the back of Johnson's uh, Where is profile. That? Johnson. Over here somewhere. And that picture <laughs> back there, that's one ballistic imagery took as well. So he does some pretty pretty badass shit. Um, he likes uh, to focus on the, or the firearms industry, but he can pretty much help you out with anything you need. Um, also, we are sponsored by Shyworks, Iowa's customer preferred Cerakote applicator. Check us out at shyworks.com as well as on Facebook. And uh, if you use coupon code LSLF10, you can get 10% everything, off everything on their website from lasered mags, uh, Glock backplates, mag bases, patches, shirts. We're shortly going to have hats back up there again. You guys have been bugging me to get hats for. I think it's been years now, and I'm a horrible procrastinator, but I finally got to it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, use coupon code LSLF10 on shyworks.com. So, um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's just dive right into it. Um, tonight, as I have said, we have Preston from Creative Arms. They are a, uh, a rifle and suppressor manufacturer. You're based out of, uh, out of Des Moines. Yes. Oh, Preston, why don't you just kind of, just kind of, in your own words, just kind of walk me through uh, what what Creative Arms does, and uh, we'll kind of just go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So Creative Arms was really, we're a family-based company. Uh, originally started with my dad. Um, we were founded in 2013. So back then, we were doing some uh, like kind of side engineering work uh, for small groups and whatnot. And, doing some like just oddball CNC machining. Uh, and then it progressed to the point where we're like, well, let's go ahead and get our FFL. And then it progressed into, oh, we're going to start designing our own firearm. So if you don't know about us, uh, we originally designed a firearm called the ARK, which was basically a hybrid between a AK-47 and an AR-15. 
And that's really where we started to pick up a lot of traction. And then as we've grown um, and as the industry has changed, there's been a, a variety of different like AK applications out there. So we, we kind of pulled back from that project um, and then started working on a few other things. So at that time, it was probably around 2015, 2016. Uh, and then really started diving into suppressors. And, and nowadays, we have a full lineup of suppressors for 22 all the way up to 300 Win Mag, as well as uh, we also manufacture firearms and AR-15 and AR-10 platforms. So a lot of different applications for like 5.56 stuff, 300 Blackout, 308, 6.5 Creedmoor. We just recently, or I just finished testing on uh, 6mm ARC. So I have a lot of guys uh, that like coyote hunting, and that seems to be a new round that people are, are liking. So we just now started offering that in the AR platform. Um, you mentioned you guys developed the ARK. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 intrigued. I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. What, first off, tell me kind of tell me about that, and and why did you yeah. guys get away from? It? Well, a couple different things. So to begin with, uh, my dad's really. When we started looking at the project, uh, he's a really big AK-47 fan. Mm-hmm. Um, as most people know, an AK-47 is a pretty tough and reliable firearm. Um, and the reason that it's so tough is their, their bolt system and the trunnion system. So in comparison to like the AR-15, you have two big locking lugs that basically can pulverize or push out sand or any debris. Whereas the AR-15 shortcoming is really that bolt lockup system with all the different teeth in it. So right. what we wanted to do is basically take the AK platform, something in 7.62 that's a little bit bigger round that we can go hog hunting or bigger game hunting and then also take the adaptability of the AR-15 and the ability to put different optics on it or anything like that um, and kind of mesh the two. So basically the ARC was the AK, Trunnion, Bolt Carrier Group, uh, and barrel out of an AK-47, so it was a piston-driven system. And then we took uh, basically the AR-15 uh, trigger group and ergonomics and then applied it to that whole platform. So we don't have it listed anywhere on our, our website anymore just because we don't sell it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but really when, when we started doing that, uh, we weren't too big of a company. We only had three or four CNC machines at the time. And trying to produce literally everything for that firearm. I mean, we designed every single piece and made every single piece at our shop. It just became really difficult to be able to put something like that together um, for an affordable price. So it was, I mean, it was an engineering uh, task in itself, but it was a good way to spend quite a bit of money on uh, prototyping and engineering to unfortunately not take it to a crazy level that we wanted to. But at the same time, there was uh, other companies like CMMG and a few others that were coming out with like the Mutant. Mm-hmm. So basically taking the AR-15 and then making it work at the 2 platform. So it seemed like the market liked that idea better um, in comparison. But there's some pretty cool reviews out there if you want to check it out. Uh, I believe uh, Rob Ski at AK-47 uh, uh, Operators Union or AK Operators Union still has a review up of it so it's it's a pr- pretty re- robust monster but but yeah so again in the in developing it and everything we came to realize that we really didn't have the machine set up to be able to develop that and 
and make it in quantities that made sense. And then at the same time, um, there was kind of the hints of the, the suppressor stuff becoming legalized in Iowa. And we have a pretty strong following in Iowa. So to us, just from a business point of view, is like, well, we can either try to keep focusing on the art, which we know is going to be a really tough struggle, or we can change change pace, work on something new that we know will be consistently be able to produce fairly easily in comparison. Because at the end of the day, suppressors are they're complex, but not super complex in the sense of a manufacturing point of view um, in comparison to making 20 parts and trying to make them all all work together. So. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you said you started this in 2000, you said 13? I believe so, yeah. So what was your, what was your back, what's your background? Like, I mean, is this something that you just like, oh, I'm interested in this and, and dove into it and learned everything or, or what is exactly is how that works? So my background itself is actually in uh, marketing and design. So I have a bachelor's degree in graphic design. Okay. Um, my job specifically, uh, previously has been kind of sales and marketing. I've, kind of relinquish some of that pressure to focus more on marketing and, and changing up some stuff on our like website and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to the company itself uh, is a little unique. So Creative Arms is really a small section of our company. So we have really two main companies, Creative Arms and Creative Works. Um, and then within Creative Works, we have a couple different product uh, lines that we kind of represent. So in short, Creative Works is an electronic engineering company. So we do embedded control systems such as like, uh, like controllers for Napide grain trailers or Warren Winch. We've developed some parts for them, uh, like Midwest boat lifts. We do a lot of stuff like that as well. Um, I'm getting the, uh, oh, sorry. I got a notification. Wake me up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so me too. At heart, <laughs> uh, at heart, we're really an engineering company. Uh, so my dad uh, is really an engineer. Um, and then we have a team of electronic engineers and uh, mechanical engineers. So we already had the team in place to be able to do a lot of different things. Um, so what we're really good at is being able to take like a napkin sketch of either a product or an idea, whether it be electronic or a physical product, um, to make and then take that napkin sketch all the way to reality and then be able to produce it. So uh, if you do visit us, uh, we are by appointment only, but uh, what you'll find is we have a full CNC manufacturing facility, um, as well as we recently brought all of our electronic uh, production in-house. So we have a full SMP line where we actually make circuit boards and, and all those components in-house. So um, we kind of were talking a little bit in, uh, before we started about kind of 2020 being a crazy year. It was really crazy because we, we had the opportunity to be able to bring basically all of our manufacturing from overseas into the U.S. and bring it in home base. So now we really have control and are proud to be able to make those products in the U.S. and so are our customers. Yeah, that's I think more and more that's getting to be like a huge deal for people. Um, I mean just for the companies themselves, because I mean, this is supply chain and transportation. There's so many issues, but mm-hmm. just having everything in house and, and making it in the USA, like me personally, if a mm-hmm. product is made in the USA, I'm going to spend more and buy that rather mm-hmm. than, you know, so 
what would you say, like, as far as an Iowa based company, and that's one of the reasons we're having, we had you on is because you're right here in Iowa. Um, what would you say is, do you guys market more towards Iowa or are you pushing out like more nationwide or, or kind of what's your, what's your biggest sell right now, Iowa or the whole nation? Um, it's a little bit of both. So, um, Creative Arms has always traditionally been kind of a in Iowa type of company. We've been moving towards uh, gaining a bigger uh, dealer base. Um, it's always been a little bit difficult, in our opinion, just because uh, we never really had like the Arc was a very unique product um, that people wanted. But after that, it was a little bit more difficult to get our feet in the door of some dealers and whatnot, just because we didn't have these unique products that people were coming to the dealers to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, we've been able to focus on and, and what I've been doing and what you'll see more of this year if you continue to look at our stuff is is really focusing on education of our products um, through our website and then being able to have customers throughout the United States be able to actually be educated about those products, whether it's video or, or more in-depth descriptions of those products, and then be able to go to the dealer and say, I want that. Um, and hopefully then just talking, um, to dealers and whatnot that can generate a more interest in their product base. Um, and then as well as that, uh, suppressors themselves, uh, they're kind of one of those products that really speak for themselves. Um, and in the industry, there's a lot of change going on right now, which is really awesome to see and a lot of data being driven from a, a variety of different places now. Uh, and with the technology of testing equipment and stuff like that, being able to do better, provide better data or data sets, um, the entire suppressor market is starting to be held to a standard that everyone could be on the same playing field as far as data. And now we can start to have genuine comparisons between company A or company B. So it's, it's really cool to see that transition from traditional suppressor manufacturers Oops. kind of giving a Okay. Oh, you, you're good. Maybe, maybe it was just me. I thought you were froze there for a minute. Oh, no. So it's really cool to see the progression from, uh, previously the, I don't necessarily want to hate on the suppressor industry per se, but there was a lot of kind of, uh, not necessarily false advertising, but kind of skewed advertising. And now mm-hmm. with this testing and this data being, uh, provided, there's kind of a no bullshit data set where it's like, well, this is the number, regardless of what you're saying or this person's saying, uh, we can use a third party entity and get uh, consistent, uh, same numbers from, from one place, uh, without being skewed in any way. Cause traditionally, like you have companies that will test stuff internally and then they'll send it out for third party evaluation, but mm-hmm. that third party evaluation might, might have uh incentive if you will or like a youtube channel might have an incentive to push that product so it's nice now to see that there's starting to be that community uh we want true data so we can make our own now when you you're talking about numbers do you mean like uh decibels as far as Mm -hmm. what what uh suppressors are rated at is that what you're yeah i mean so jay uh or i can kind of throw a shout out to the q science um if you've ever checked them out, I don't know if you have before, they do a really good job of explaining everything that's going on. So they look at uh, pressures, impulses, and a few other things. 
Um, because there is a lot of stuff going on when you start suppressing a firearm. Uh, so like, I don't know. So essentially a, a suppressor is a muffler, right? So mm-hmm. when you muffle sound, you're going to increase back pressure into the firearm. So the big thing that people don't think about is if you want to have, let's just say you want the quietest suppressor out there. It's going to also generate the most back pressure. And if you don't have that, mindset when you're designing something you might actually start to cause issues in the firearm host itself so as a manufacturer and as a uh, someone designing products we almost have to go in with the intent of okay we want to design this product around 300 blackout we want to have a really really quiet uh 300 blackout suppressor but we know that it's not going to be as great on a 556 or it's going to be too much of a pressure uh or like a too much back pressure for like a 308. So you kind of almost have to fine tune in what you want to do first and then kind of work your way backwards in the whole engineering process. Sure. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what would you guys say, like, what is your, what's like your, your guys' number one product? What's, what's you guys' bread and butter, the thing that you kind of move the most of? Right now, I would say our integrally suppressed rifles are probably our biggest hit when someone comes in. So what makes them really unique, and if you're on our website here, actually, I'll just drop a link in the, the, uh, comments. But, uh, so what's really unique about this whole system is it is a pinned and welded barrel. So we actually have the barrel produced to our spec by a company here in, uh, here in Iowa. Uh, Lee Wells at Accurate Reliable Rifle. So what's cool about it is uh, there's actually a couple things. So uh, did that post? Yeah. So I just posted that in the comments if anyone wants to check it out. So what's cool about it is it's a pin and welded barrel. So to begin with, it's on our 300 blackout. Let's talk about that one because it's the easiest. And most of the time that people buy in, are buying uh, suppressed firearms, it's usually 300 blackout. So it's a 10 and a half inch barrel and then it's pin and welded tube. So what that does, uh, is allows us to basically have a full rifle length, uh, firearm to the ATF. So you're minimizing right out of the gate a $200 extra tax stamp that you have to pay. The other cool thing is we have a monocore design for that rifle. So the monocore is traditionally not the, the quietest, but it is a very, very robust suppressor design in a couple different ways. So, and I'd say, I don't say necessarily inefficient, but it, it's not as efficient as like a, um, cone style suppressor. So there's a couple of different, uh, styles of suppressors out there and I can go into that at a later time. But essentially what the other cool thing about the ISR is the, the monocore itself is the serialized piece. And so what that means is you can actually screw and unscrew the, the suppressor in and out of the gun. So let's say, Let's say you buy the rifle and you want to use that suppressor on another rifle. Traditionally, an ISR platform from other companies, that suppressor itself is mated to that gun and you can't take it out. With the monocore being the actual serialized piece, you can remove the core and then be able to use it on, use it on any other gun. So basically you're getting a suppressor and a rifle all in one package and then you can adapt that to any of your other firearms if you want. So it's, it's a really cool package and it's $2,200. Um, and then you have a $200 tax. So like our normal 30 cal suppressor is $900 and our 
usually our rifles range anywhere between, I would say, $1,700 to $2,000. So it's a great way to be able to like have a solid package and then be able to also do other things with it. So I would say that's right. probably our, our biggest seller as far as firearms right now. Um, and then across the board, the suppressor stuff, I would say our, our top sellers are usually our 30 cal suppressors um, and then our 22s. So the reason the 30 cal is so widely um, desired is because you can use it on multiple firearms or multiple calibers. So a 30 cal is, our 30 cal is up good to 300 wind mag, um, but you can basically run it on 308, 65 Creedmoor, 6 millimeter, 223, 556, basically any of your AR-15 or AR-10 platforms. And like, it's just a good all-around suppressor. Um, and then the 22s are the most popular just because 22 is the most popular firearm and, or cartridge probably in sure. the United States. Yeah. Super easy, to, super easy to shoot and it's really affordable and you can get subsonic ammo and it's basically like a public gun. So perfect varmint, varmint type situation or if you're teaching someone new to shoot. It's a great, great way to introduce someone into firearms <laughs> without having them kind of freak out about firearms in general. But yeah. I think that's a, that's a major selling point of suppressors also. And and especially yeah. a suppressed 22 is mm. someone who is timid of firearms. Um and you can take somebody out and show them that you know you can have a good time with firearms and be safe and it's not as loud and violent as they think it is. You know, taking mm. somebody out with especially a suppressed 22 or suppressed anything, I think is going to give them a better first experience um, yeah, shooting. So. Yeah, and like I've had horror stories of people telling me about how they took their wife out and and shot like three three eight Lapua, and that was their first introduction to firearms. And I'm like, why would you do that? I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's a big... pet peeve of mine is when people yeah. you know take somebody out for their first time shooting. It's like here's a five hundred Smith and Wesson, or you know, yeah. Uh, 338 yeah. Lapua or 50 BMG or something big and kicks hard and recoils a lot. It's like that is that's a way to turn somebody off of firearms for sure. Oh, absolutely, and that's that's one of the things that we always try to advocate too is not necessarily like um, whether you're a, a veteran shooter or a novice shooter. We want you to be able to comfortably come to us and ask those questions about. Like I, I had a 65 year old guy come in a couple of weeks ago and completely new to AR-15s, and I'm like, awesome! Like I'm glad that you're here to begin with, but this is the opportunity for you to be able to ask any questions that you want and be able to learn. Because I want you to be able to walk away knowing that you can one safely handle the firearm, not hurt yourself or hurt someone else by accident, but then be able to be competent in either cleaning it or doing whatever and having a mm -hmm. successful visit to the gun range the first time. So right. yeah, it's, it's always interesting to hear like the first time, uh, shooters, but, but yeah, the whole suppressors being able to take that and then be able to give someone a, a firearm or like, specifically women oftentimes at the struggle with like pistols and stuff like that. You can put the suppressor on and it gives them a good balance and that, they can almost kind of like look at you in excitement of like, Oh my God, like that's not that yeah, scary that's, at all. And yeah. It's so much that, easier like, to handle. Moment, yeah. 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 And, and, and I get that with men too. It's like, Oh fuck, that's fire. Like, yeah. and 
see that light bulb go light bulb go off in their head. That's kind of exciting for me as like a salesperson or in marketing. It's like we know that we're doing something right if we're getting that that uh, that type that of reaction. reaction from someone. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember the first time I ever shot anything suppressed and uh, we'll call it a, you know, a formed one suppressor. And I was like, yeah. man, that's not as quiet as I thought it was going to be, but it is yeah. fairly quiet. And then you shoot something with an actual good suppressor design and, you know, and properly set up for the firearm that you're shooting it. And it's it. That's a whole different ball game. You know, it's yeah. it's really impressive. Talk, yeah, and you talked a little bit about like suppressor designs, and I can kind of elaborate on that too a little bit if you want. But I mean, so yeah, there's definitely efficient stuff, and it also has to do with like the type of cartridge that you're going to be planning on shooting. Absolutely. So, I mean, a lot of people, <clears throat> a lot of people, they'll want to buy a five five six suppressor, and I'm like, just so you know, and, and let's go to the range or let's just go test this on your firearm so you have a realistic expectation. It's like, look, you're still shooting something that's supersonic and there's more than just the concussion coming out of the end of the barrel that you're hearing because you're going to hear the mechanical action of the firearm. You're also going to hear the bullet breaking the sound barrier down range. And oftentimes you, you like people shooting suppressors for the first time don't correlate that to the actual gun going off. And so you have sometimes where people are just like, Oh, it's still loud, and it's like, well, yeah, we're muffling uh-huh. only one aspect <laughs> of the gun, not just not yeah. all of it. You know, yeah. I mean, if we really want to do it, we put it in a box, and and then you can shoot it, and it'll be really quiet, right? <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, and I, and I think um, one thing, and I know you're talking about like the getting all the data and the testing and um, taking all the decibel readings and all the new instrumentation. I think something that I have found very interesting in um, I would say watching a lot of content that involves that kind of stuff is is that a lot of independent parties are moving towards shooter's ear, um, you know, like ejection port side of the firearm shooter's ear testing versus, you know, whatever it is, a meter left and 1.3 meters off the ground, whatever the military standard testing was. Um, and I... I Personally, I think, you know, for a lot of people that the shooter's ear ejection port side decibel reading is probably one of the more important, one of the more important readings. Yeah, absolutely. And so that really stems from the military standard. Um, So they had that for a couple different reasons or different meter locations, if I understand it correctly. But essentially, they wanted to understand, like, what happens if someone's off to the right side of a of the barrel and then they mm-hmm. wanted to see what's going on with shooter ear. But but yeah, arguably the more important number to like general like consumers is gonna be definitely the the at the shooter's ear. because um, it can probably be I've seen a like a four or five D B swing between yeah. the end of the muzzle to the shooter's ear. Mm-hmm. Um and D B is also one of those things that's relatively difficult to explain to the people that don't really understand sound yeah five Um, decibels at 100 at 140 doesn't seem like much but the i guess what people don't realize is kind of the exponential how much louder five decibels is at 140 versus five decibels at 65 you know yeah and that's that's one of the things that is as someone that has to work 
and think about marketing and stuff like that. How do you, how do you show that, whether it's in a, like, an infographic type of, uh, thing or do you take a video of it? Cause then you have to also show that, like, okay, this, what you're hearing is what only the camera can or the microphone can potentially read. So mm-hmm. you're not actually getting the full sound. So really, like realistically, you almost need to be there in person to be able to really understand what it sounds like. And right. even then, an individual's ear is different. So like having mm-hmm. a standard is really important on, on having consistent data across the board. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's very difficult. Like you said, it's very difficult to really give the consumer an idea of how, what that five decibel difference is at that kind of volume. And, and especially through like video, you know, these, all the cameras and microphones and audio equipment anymore is so good at auto, auto adjusting levels that when you shoot firearms in front of a lot of video cameras anymore, you can hear the gunshots just fine. It doesn't blow the mic out. And you can hear the shots just fine. But if you then try and talk afterwards, you can't hear anybody talking for 10 seconds because the mic's trying to adjust to that new level. You know, so it is very difficult to kind of show without, you know, having someone there in person. Yeah. And and then you see it in other fashions where it's like it talks about or you'll see it where people just list a DB number and then it's like, okay, well, what's what's the unsuppressed number versus the suppressed number? Or you'll see it as a 20 to 30 dB reduction. It's like, okay, well, what did it start at to mm-hmm. begin with? And then what was the testing platform? And it just, yeah. you, you start to get, go down the rabbit's hole if you really are into, into this stuff. And that's, that's why, like, if, if you can nail down the testing equipment and have a consistent set of firearms that you go back to yeah. every single time, it, I mean, it's science, right? Like, yeah. You got to science the shit out of it. And yeah, you want to make as as many constants. Yeah, yes, as many exactly. constants as possible. Yep. Exactly. But the problem that I well, it's not a really a problem, but the uh, people people always ask like, why are suppressors always so expensive? And there's a couple different reasons. One, the manufacturing part of it can be a little tricky, um, just depending on what type of suppressor it is. But then the, the testing equipment and the, the engineering that goes behind it, people don't really understand. So like the big thing right now is, uh, it's a, a pulse system. Basically it's like a two microphone setup and then they read, read between the two different microphones. And that setup alone, um, is like almost 80 grand. So for a company to just dump 80 grand into, into a microphone, that, it's a hard sell sometimes. Like when yeah. you take that to take that to the account, I'm like, Hey, I want to spend 80 grand on a microphone. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it, you definitely have to justify it and, and say, okay, this is going to be an engineering expense for us to be able to move forward um, to provide or be able to get good data and then be able to move forward with our, our products. Because like, at the end of the day, if you don't have the data behind what you're doing, almost point i mean you can get close um so that's why like companies that can't afford that stuff and us included will send stuff out for third-party testing and pay Mm -hmm. like 1500 to 2000 dollars to get it tested and evaluated so then we can have that data and then move forward with a another design or test like two or three designs all at once so Mm -hmm. 
but you can so definitely you, reel it in, reel it in with comparisons like by the ear. But to really get to that next level, you you really need to invest in that that technology. So you're talking about new technology. What uh, is there anything that you guys are working on or that you see in the industry, like as far as new technology suppressor wise, um, that that you're excited about, or is there anything on the horizon you think? Well, we're starting to so. We really started our suppressor lineup back in 2017 ish or 2015, 2016. So it's given us a lot of time to really figure out what, what a good suppressor needs to be and, and what kind of positives that need to go into each one. So, uh, at the 2A day a couple weeks there, this is last week, we, we gave away one of our, our new suppressor designs, which, uh, right now we're calling Fire. I don't know if that's necessarily what we're going to stick with at the moment, but uh, it's our new 22 suppressor. So um, this year, you're going to see quite a few new products from us. Uh, we're working through our suppressor designs right now. So basically starting at the 22, then going into our 30 cal and 5.56 stuff, and then reworking our 945 stuff to be a little bit more updated. So we've been able to do three years of research, of market research and and product research. And now we're starting to get to the point where now we can release some of that new stuff and, uh, hopefully the market enjoys it. So, um, the newest one that we're probably going to be coming out with, then like I have the, the first 10 being finished up tomorrow, um, is our new 22 suppressor. So it's an all titanium suppressor. Um, and what's cool about it is, well, there's a couple things, but, uh, the whole thing's titanium. Um, so it's going to be rated to be able to use on like 17 HMR, 22 Magnum, 22, 22 long rifle, basically all the Brent fire stuff. Um, super lightweight, pretty cool design. Um, and then the baffle system itself, um, if, if you've ever shot with 22 long rifle, you'll know that it's incredibly dirty. And especially if you shoot with a suppressor and subsonic ammo, it's stupid dirty. Yeah. So, um, it's not necessarily a, a, a new, innovative thing um but we pulled some uh design ideas from other companies and in the market and basically have made the the internals themselves uh like it's a cup design um and then they they clip into one one another so what that allows us to do is basically have no carbon buildup in between the tube and the internals so mm-hmm. when you go to clean it uh basically the internals slide right out i mean it's it's kind of buttery almost how smooth they are um so it's it's really neat because it how it they click together. Uh they basically keep all the carbon buildup inside the internals. Um and then with them being t- all titanium, you basically if you have an ultrasonic cleaner, you can just dump them right into that and let them go for 20, 30 minutes and they wipe right off. Um and then just again, overall design features it it looks pretty cool. So it's a little bit uh basically there's like a front cap uh that threads the exterior of the tube instead of like traditionally you have an entrance cap that threads into the tube. Mm-hmm. This actually is the glass chamber itself and then the internals butt up against the shelf inside of it. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a, a baffle per se, but it's a sacrificial like glass area. So or expansion chamber and mm-hmm. then everything else after that is baffles. Um but aesthetically I, I like it. I was definitely involved with this one uh a lot more. So I'm excited to see that one come to market and like I said, uh, I've got the first 10 being finished up tomorrow. Um, so hopefully we can start to push that out. And then, um, 
after that, we've got uh, charging handle designs that we're working on. Um, so we'll start making those probably, uh, let's say, in the next month or two. And then also working on some just extra accessories, such as like scope uh, scope mounts and other optic accessories. So we're just met- kind of really broadening our product line in general. You mentioned uh, charging handles. You guys um, thought about doing anything with the the few suppressed guns that I've shot, specifically mm-hmm. ARs. You know, everybody knows they blast back in your face like crazy. Um, yeah. Have you guys thought about doing anything as far as charging handles to mitigate that? Yeah, we definitely have. There's there's two new or two designs out there really that I've seen that uh, relatively work. Uh, you have that radiant style. They have their suppressor mitigating uh, charging handle mm-hmm. so it's got some vents in like the forward i don't even know what you call that yeah it's the part that's inside the receiver <laughs> yeah yeah the shaft we'll go with that <laughs> <laughs> but uh that and then silencer co just came out with a new yeah. charging handle that, that has a um, kind of little sacrificial uh um, it's like a shelf almost or a lip yeah. i guess yeah, because it's got a, a plastic piece in it, uh, like a Delrin uh, piece. Mm-hmm. The problem with that I see is like that will wear out eventually after use, so you'll have to replace it. Yeah, I mean, in theory, if you're shooting a bit, you shouldn't be using the charging handle anyway, in my opinion, because you're going to be using the bolt catch. But I know my experience, well my experience do. with Delrin is that that shit is pretty tough. So like, it is. and and you got to think like. There's even um, like leaf spring bushings that they make out of Delrin. So I mean, and yeah. I, and I see like the cycle of that, you know, the actual abrasion and stuff. But yeah, I, I definitely I see it could wear out. But yeah, I don't know if it's necessary Delrin. I think it's some kind of gasket, honestly. But yeah, regardless, it just. Like it's still not aluminum, videos. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I mean, from the videos that I saw, it, it seriously worked. I mean, mm-hmm. they did their due diligence on on getting that right, and I think it it probably worked really well. Um, I I see that, that is, as being as being a better um a better option than the radian sd in my opinion i i think yeah. the radian sd was really because i've seen a lot of tests on on charging handle difference and getting gas in the face and legit between just a standard mil spec ar charging handle and that radian sd there is a slight bit of difference but yeah. that new one is that's that's a serious game changer that made quite a bit of difference so yeah and i i don't I mean, I haven't got to play with one yet in person, so I I, I can only like speak on what I've seen. But mm-hmm. again, I I think it looks like an awesome design in general. So I'm excited to see how the aftermarket takes it. I mean, mm-hmm. if I mean if if you can go a year or two without having to to replace that, I think that's a awesome solution, especially for the the aftermarket or right. kind of retail space in the United States. But for like a I don't know necessarily for like a military application is probably going to be the best thing. I mean, right. at the end of the day, if you're going to war with it, you're probably not really giving a fuck about the the gas in the face. But yep. <laughs> it's like, yep. like, oh god, like let me let me put this new piece of freaking gasket. In <laughs> yeah, hold on, I got to put a new O-ring on my charging handle. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, I think Duck I think it definitely <laughs> right. But I, def- I definitely think it's a good solution. And uh, uh, 
different uh different avenue to come up with a solution mm-hmm. so that's they've always sounds like has always been pretty innovative when it comes to that yeah. stuff uh and they're definitely a big player in just engineering and taking it to that next level yep um so Preston, can you real quick uh, tell me about the new? I want to ask you about your helicopter hunting because I'm I'm, I'm intrigued yeah. to hear all that shit. But real quick, can you run through the whole NFA? I know it's not a quick subject, um, but yeah. the whole <laughs> NFA e-file system that just came into uh, into being recently here. Yeah, so I'm pretty well educated on the whole NFA stuff. I I would say the majority of my day, like I focus on the NFA ATF kind of side of the company um mm-hmm. so essentially the e-form system is an electronic uh filing system that we as a company have traditionally always used so that system itself uh what is what allows us to be able to easily transfer suppressors or nfa items to other dealers um as well as do any like law enforcement transfers fairly easily so basically we have an account uh then it was set up or like i'm a filer for creative arms. So then I have the ability to access all the creative arms NFA stuff. Um, and then I can just pull that registered number and then transfer it to said dealer or said law enforcement agency, etc. So recently, um, or traditionally, I guess let's go back a step. So when you were, when you buy a suppressor, uh, post December of 2020 or of 2021, excuse me, poor crap. Um, you had to do uh, ATF Form 4 via paper. So that process, uh, if you've never done it before, um, seems like a lot. It's not a lot, but it is a lot all the time. So and the reason I say that is it's uh, uh, basically paper forms you fill out. So it's kind of similar to 4473, uh, but it's a little bit more detailed in the sense of the, the dealer has to then basically write out their information as far as their FFL and their SOT. And then also apply like, uh, or put in what type of firearm as far as silencer, short barrel rifle, serial number, et cetera, and then fill out all your information. Uh, and then on top of that, if you had a trust, there's a separate form called the responsible person questionnaire. So, uh, if you have multiple people in your trust, then you need to have every single person there to be able to fill out this paperwork and then also sign it. And then on top of that, you had to get your fingerprints taken and then register. So uh, then you had to get two photo uh, photo ID cards that would be attached to the form and then your fingerprints. So all that stuff would get sent into the ATF. Now, um, since December, they've released ATF form for us to be done electronically. So what that means is it's a lot less of a paperwork headache for both the ATF and the SOTs that are doing them. So basically what you can do is have you come in and, and do a form for probably, I would say on average, we're doing about 20, 30 minutes back or form themselves. Um, the other cool thing with the form four is you can do the fingerprint and the photo all digitally now. So basically there's no paperwork that needs to be additionally sent into the ATF. So in theory, it should be a lot more efficient for the ATF to be able to, to file those things. Um, the efficiency in the government is pretty horrendous already, but <laughs> hopefully they, they've came out and said that they're going to try to get it under 90 days by the end of 2022. Um, we have a couple form fours right now that we're waiting on and it's, that was basically done right at January, right after they, they switched the system and we haven't seen those back yet. 
So it's just kind of a waiting game right now. And there's not really a, a system per se of how they go about approving or who gets approved first or anything like that. Um, but it seems that the electronic forms are a lot more efficient. So um, the other thing I would probably assuming that you're going to ask is about the form one. So the form one is an application to make uh, your own NFA item or uh, in this case, a suppressor. So basically uh, the form one, what was cool about it is uh, previously, since you would have to do a form four uh, via paper, um, an individual could then do a ATF form one and make their own suppressor NFA yet. So like, let's say you own a, uh, AR-15, that's a 16-inch rifle, or uh, an AR pistol, you could do an ATF Form 1 and then convert that into an SBR. So basically, you go in, um, you'd be the, the person or the entity, um, and you could do it with a trust, too, that would then be able to uh, apply to make that into an NFA item. So basically, same thing, you list out the, the firearm information. In the case of like SBR, SB, uh, or short barrel shotgun, uh, you'd be able to list out your barrel length and then your overall length and then provide additional information if you needed to. And then once you get approved, then you'd be able to uh, either convert it into SBR and then just get it great. Uh, in the case of the suppressor stuff, uh, once you're approved, then you could, then you'd be allowed to be able to make your own suppressor. Um, with the form ones right now, um, uh, there's a lot of back and forth right now from the ATF on what's what's now being considered suppressor parts versus um, like basically how the whole form is going to be changed. So right now in the industry, everyone's kind of holding their breath, waiting for the ATF for clarification. Um, so we're kind of in that same holding pattern. Um, so we try to try to do our due diligence on keeping up with that stuff, but sometimes it's very difficult to get answers from ATF. Um, so at this moment, like the form ones, uh, if you haven't seen, there's been a, a pretty large uh, disapproval that happened this last month, so or actually this last week. So um, there's a lot of fusion going on in that industry right now, and, and we also spearhead a lot of that stuff too. So something to look out for, but uh, but yeah, yeah, and that's something we're gonna dive into here um, here yeah. in a little bit because that has been that's kind of like that's kind of the uh, Every time I log into Facebook, it's just it's just the Form One Builders Group. Just like people mm -hmm. are pissed, saying, "Oh, I got denied," and all this. It's just a it's just a complete shit show right now. It sounds like, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, and it's it, and this is this is a favorite topic of ours on on this podcast. Is oh, it's, the ATF done did it again? You know, it's yeah. just like it's like every week they ninety percent of our show. I swear, oh it's just <laughs> f the ATF, man. It's like we're just yeah. constantly shitting on them. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a government agency, right? So, like, right, the uh, you have to look at it like in our point of view, they're they're government employees, and so like you have people that are just genuinely trying to do their job, and they they do a lot of different things. People forget that. I mean. They cover explosives. They cover illegal activities via like drug trafficking and all sorts of stuff. So you have like a lot of moving parts and a lot of people doing different things. And it, like I'm not defending the ATF in any way, but like sometimes they like people forget that all the stuff that they're doing. And it's like ah, I can kind of give them some leniency, but the overall right. premise of what it is is it's like ah, 
Like, I don't give them leniency. <laughs> I wish they didn't exist. <laughs> right. no, the problem is, is what we do. Yeah. 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 I mean, no leniency really... here. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, fuck, we have to pay to do this stuff. And well, there's only so and, much and as a, as like a manufacturer for you, I understand you guys have a lot more of a relationship with them. You deal with them on a much more frequent basis than the rest of us do. Um, yeah. And, and I well, mean, usually if they're visiting, if they're visiting <laughs> you, you've done something fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and there's, and there's kind of that, you know, there's kind of that threshold where too, you deal with them enough that you've grown accustomed to how long things take. How, what the general process is, you know, you get kind of used to that. And and as just a regular Joe and I want to do a form one or even a form four to get a new suppressor, I'm antsy as all hell. I've never done this before. Oh, sure. I'm antsy as shit to get my form four back so I can go pick up this suppressor. And it's taken nine months. And like, I am an impatient bastard. I have been yeah. tracking my primary arms shipment all day today, as a matter of fact, and was like like a little kid at Christmas sitting, waiting on, you know, watching out the window for the UPS guy to show up. And when right. something takes that long, I I don't know if I can handle that kind of shit. So, so it's like, you know, I think there's a there's a point too where when you deal with these agencies and these people long enough, you kind of get an understanding for how long these things take. And it doesn't seem like out of the norm, you know, as for the regular Joe, I think it feels like it takes forever. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that statement to an extent. I, I think the, the, like in the case of form fours and, and form ones, like the form ones prove that the, the system, like, that they have set up works fairly well. I mean, Form 1s, frankly speaking, the reason that Form 1s were so popular uh, or have been so popular is you could get approvals in 10 to 30 days. I mean, mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. unheard of in the, the Form 4 stuff. And they've really kind of created this monster in, in that side of their paperwork where people are wanting to do that because of efficiency. And hopefully the efficiencies like get moved to the Form 4 stuff um, and they can hit that 90 days. But like you said, I mean, I, that's one of the hardest things for us as a, as a manufacturer of selling some of this stuff is like, all right, you're going to pay for a suppressor, but you can't take it home until you get approved by the federal government. And we don't know when that's, so right. we're going to take your thousand bucks and see, you know, see you when they send us a, right. a letter. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, and then that's. That's rough. And I, I'm right there. Like, I totally understand that because what was it in Iowa it was passed in 2016, I believe the suppressor suppressors were legalized. Mm -hmm. I think it was 2017. Okay. So, so right and, in there. Yeah. And I was super excited. I'm like, hell yeah. You know, and then I never got around to it because, yeah. well, uh, I just never, it took yeah, for freaking ever. Not, and, no, no. Let's not sugarcoat this, Sam. You just don't do anything you say you're going to do within two years. Yeah, I yes, exactly. I'm a super procrastinator. I'm fucking horrible. But now, but now I, I I got my SOT, so I'm like I can cut the time way down, so I don't yeah. have to deal with that shit quite as much. But um, for the average Joe, yeah, like I totally I totally get that. Just totally uh, procrastination also, central. Over I mean, here. the transfer between dealer to dealer, and 
And granted, I don't really necessarily understand the process behind the scenes, what goes into it. I would assume, or like the whole background check, I would assume, um, and this is again me just as, like on an assumption, is they, they put your information into the next background check and some sort of other like FBI background check. And then they, they take files with fingerprints and input your, your information into their system and show that transfer happened from creative arms to this person. Mm-hmm. But well, who knows behind the scenes of, okay, is that FBI background check the one that's holding it up or is it the Nick's background check? Or do they, is it they sitting in a folder in somebody's, you know, is it sitting in yeah. someone's inbox and they're just like, you know, I got 83,000 of these bitches to get through. I'm in no hurry. <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. And that's the, that's the hard part with government employees, too, is it's, you know, they're pretty much a lot of times. Yeah, it's just somebody doing their job. And I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of people who don't like their effing job. So, yeah, they're in no hurry. You know, well, yeah, I just yeah. sit here and type this shit in all day long. Let me forward yeah. that, you know, so there's so many factors that go into what could take that stuff take so you know make that stuff take so long but yeah yeah it it, it just sucks (laughs) well let's talk about something interesting something fun um before we dive back into the other aspect of it preston tell me about hog helicopter hog you guys went down to texas recently yeah so a few friends and i uh went down for his uh, birthday so uh this gentleman or one of our friends, his dad actually works for a uh, uh, land manager or management hunting uh, group called uh, McCray Outdoors. So basically what they do is they, they do management hunting, um, like for sale stuff, uh, which I have my own personal opinions on management hunting versus regular hunting. But we were there to do mm-hmm. more predator control. So uh, if you've ever seen predator control in Texas, it's something that's out of a freaking movie. So we basically got a. God, I love Texas. Hell yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, we got to have our Call of Duty moment, uh, getting loaded up in a helicopter and basically getting to shoot pigs for about four and a half hours. So that was a pretty, a pretty adventurous experience to say the least. So I got to get a couple, uh, or bring a couple guns down and be able to play with those with some friends. And, uh, it was definitely, Definitely a ten out of ten on the fun scale. <laughs> so, time out. You brought you brought the fun guns, right? Like fully auto I shit. Didn't. I didn't. No, uh, just because. Well, so we originally were supposed to fly commercial. Um, oh, kind of a pain in the ass to begin with, and then they yep. really freaked out. You have a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I ended up. Uh, uh, we ended up having flight delays because the ice storm that went through Texas. Uh, what was that? Like? three or four weeks now ago but mm-hmm. uh long story short uh we flew private down there um and then it was easy because then we could basically put up put the guns in and load up and didn't really have to care about anything but right no i did not bring the, the full auto stuff but um it was interesting um because i've gone hog hunting before and traditionally i've shot during a blackout so to me that was kind of the tried and true uh experience that i had i was like yeah they knocked the pigs down and should be good to go. So, um, with the helicopter stuff, uh, I definitely was humbled in my shooting capabilities. I would consider <laughs> myself a, a relatively good shot, but shooting out of a moving helicopter at something that's also on a full clip run, scared shitless, 
Yeah, so so shooting a moving target is one thing, but shooting a moving target while you're moving, whole nother ballgame. Yeah. Yeah, also moving on three different axes. So right. it's like forward, you're also moving forward and you're going like this. So your your equilibrium on how to shoot is completely different. But but yeah, it was uh it was definitely cool to see well it wasn't cool, but it was uh it was cool to understand that the the 300 blackout necessarily wasn't the best application for that. Uh, it turns out that 12 gauge with buckshot is the is the shit. Really? So, but, yeah. Like if you want to go helicopter hunting, that's gonna be the the ticket. So I think if we end so, up going back. We need to find. Uh, we need to find uh, either yeah, full auto Sega 12 or. Hear me out, an AA 12. If we could just get our hands on oh, a few of these. Yeah. Now, you know, AA-12 with some drum mags would be sitting pretty. I can sign that one off for uh, uh, dealer testing. I'll need one of those for testing. Yeah. Testing for what? See, in, a, in, a lot of, in a lot of videos, like, you'll see a guy and I, like, single shots, like semi-auto, I mean, that would be very difficult. Like, with, with fully auto, you just kind of walk it where it needs yeah, to go. Yeah, just walk like, the would, dust cloud yeah. up. To- <laughs> right, and I can see where that would be easy, but, like, semi-auto, like, that would be that would be very difficult for me. Like, I'm I'm not yeah. that great of a shooter. Well, and it took me, I mean, so I took basically a, a factory SBR with a suppressor on it, granted blackout, and then I had an aimpoint comp M4 on it. So it's basically just a red dot with no no uh right. power magnification or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I mean I was shooting all over the place. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And and finally the helicopter pilot obviously had been doing this kind of guided me in, but I mean the first outing we went up, I probably shot sixty rounds, shot one hog, and I'm like, What the fuck? Like <laughs> I am not that bad of a shot. I mean right. just by sheer Sure, yeah. uh, will I should be able to hit that one. <laughs> but once you get the hang of it, it was, I mean, basically you're shooting below and behind it. And then as you're moving, your, your bullet trajectory is going to move up since you're moving usually faster than the hog itself. So, right. but, but the 300 seemed to not be the, like, it didn't have enough knockdown power. See, I, I think the 6.8 SPC is really, a damn good hog hunting cartridge. I have always wanted to build a six eight gun, but the ammo's so kind of yeah, to get. it is. Although I was impressed because we stopped to have to get uh, hunting licenses and whatnot, so we uh, obviously stopped at a store, and I was like, man, I love Texas. Their ammo freaking area was completely filled. I mean, mm-hmm. more filled than I've seen in a long, long time anywhere. It's like, oh, you want this oddball caliber? I mean, yeah. all sorts of random. So that was cool to see, just the differences between the the gun community there. Well, I mean, you can, like, I'm pretty sure you can stop at any Bucky's and they got an ammo section even in the gas station. Right. So, right. Or you get pulled over and the, the cop asks you for a gun, or if you have a gun, say no. And it's like, well, here's one. <laughs> right. You want mine? I... <laughs> yeah, I got I got a couple in the truck, but mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that was that was cool. And then along with that, um, so the a couple of the ranches that we visited, 
they also wanted to do, or they wanted us to basically eliminate some of the other animals. So in this case, it was pod ad sheep. So I was able to shoot, uh, technically I shot two sheep, but, uh, one I officially kept as mine and then me and another guy had kind of tag teamed the other one and about ran me over. So that was, that was a little, <laughs> uh, like that, uh, 170 pound sheep with, uh, horns running at you and land about two feet away from you. So yeah. that was a good time. But, uh, but yeah, it was, trip. it's definitely eye opening to see different, different types of hunting. I mean, traditionally I've grown up deer hunting, um, here in Iowa and, and if you're familiar with hunt, real hunting, it's, it's a lot of work and like the management stuff is cool because it gives opportunities to people that don't have those opportunities or to be able to come in and almost have a very high guarantee that you're going to see something. Um, and be able to have a shot on it, but I guess it's just not my cup of tea per se. So, right. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, well, uh, Preston, we appreciate you coming on, man. It's, uh, it's been a fun conversation. I enjoy you taking time, time to join us. Um, what is your, what's the best way to get a hold of Creative Arms? Um, primarily, so we're by appointment only, as I said. Um, so we do kind of have, uh, a storefront, well, not really even a storefront. We have our office space that we've converted into a, a makeshift, uh, showroom, which is, uh, our place is really cool. Um, not to take anything away from our offices, but, um, but the best way to get a hold of us is either by email at sales at creativearms.com or to give us a call. So our phone number is 515-645-5909. Um, or reach out to us on Facebook and definitely set up an appointment there so we're pretty active um in general um we're we're busy usually at the office so if you don't hear from us on facebook or social media uh like instantly we're probably with someone um but yeah other than that either a phone or email usually the best way to get a hold of yeah heck yeah well i appreciate you coming on man we're gonna uh we're gonna dive into the kind of the topic of the week and you're welcome to stay and, and, and join in on the, on the conversation with us if you like, Preston. That's yeah, I'll stay for a bit and just check it out and voice my opinion in the can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of obviously we've mentioned like the, one of the big topics of this show is, is the ATF and, and all the, the debauchery that they pull on <laughs> like on a freaking constant basis daily. Anymore. Yeah. But uh a couple of days ago, um the form uh the form one groups on Facebook just started blowing up. Everybody was getting denied. Um and, and generally, you know, on the form one st- side of things, like Preston was saying, they usually get approvals within uh ten to thirty to forty days. Um so it was very odd that so many people were getting uh getting denied. Um and this it, quickly became clear that there was it was essentially blanket <laughs> denials going yeah. on. Um and and that was I believe two days ago. That started on Monday. Yeah. Um is kind of when that started. So the the <clears throat> whole Facebook has been kind of in a, a, a massive shitstorm um because nobody knows what's going on. And today kind of we got a little bit of, of clarity of what was going on. There was an email reply that, that some people got that was kind of told us, um, essentially it sounds to me like, uh, the, uh, the ATF has basically decided that, that form ones from kits are going to 
go by the wayside. They will be no more. It sounds like the only acceptable way for you to actually form one, and Preston, correct me here if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the only acceptable acceptable way for you to create a Form 1 suppressor is if you have a, a CNC lathe or a 3D printer. Like, you're going to have to... like Completely from raw this. materials. That That's kind of what it sounds like to the, me. The problem that I'm seeing, however, is that there were people who haven't bought shit haven't bought anything have bought no raw materials have bought no kits have bought absolutely nothing was going to get their form one approval before they bought anything which in my opinion well in my opinion it's all bullshit and then quit asking for permission but if if you want to be that you know i need to do this by the numbers i'm afraid to get in any kind of trouble so i'm going to get my form one before i get anything i understand that and the fact that they just blanket said no to all of you. No, what you purchased is already a suppressor. I haven't, I haven't bought shit. All I right. turned, I turned in my form, oh, you know, three weeks ago. I haven't bought a goddamn thing, and you're sending me back a letter that says what I already bought is already a suppressor. You know, it's like, ah, to me. Even all these people who are, you know, intend to, which I'm one of those people, I would prefer to make it out of raw materials myself. I don't want to buy a kit. That's the fun part for me is making it out of raw materials. And, you know, like I can send my form one in. They're just going to tell me no. It's like, so where do you draw that line? Yes, the kits, they're saying these kits are going to be no longer form one approved if you get it from a kit. Well, first of all, how's the ATF know I bought anything? How do they know I bought a kit? How do they know I didn't just I, I haven't bought some you know sked 80 stainless tubing or, or pipe or titanium tubing or you know are you are you watching my McMaster car orders? Or what are you, what's going on here? I always watch. <laughs> yeah that's that's really the frustrating part is like you said they they blanket denied everybody and, a, and mm-hmm. a, a, a good majority i think of the people that got denied hadn't bought anything yet they were, yeah. they were straight up doing it by the book and i think the most frustrating thing about this is that they're they're attacking law-abiding americans that are trying to be on the up and up and do like these are not the people committing murders these are not the people yeah. that are causing any issues whatsoever they're trying to give you money trying to do shit by the book. <laughs> right. i'm trying to you give know? you literally all of my personal information the name of my dog like what else do you want from me everything. i'm trying to give yeah. you every piece of personal information that i have and you and won't that, and you're still telling me no and and i think and the other really frustrating part was they said that even if you go to Home Depot and you buy piping and you cut it into a six inch section, that constitutes intent <clears throat> if you don't have a form one. Well, like, so now, now everything they're saying, if you buy a flashlight, apparently that's going to be oh, plumbers, technically plumbers. They're, they're all felons. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and I mean, I can understand like where they're going. Like they're, they're worried about, they're worried about people being able to purchase suppressor kits without them knowing and turn them into a suppressor. 
but those are not statistically that is not an issue. That there, what show me the show me the crime in America. Show me the the the, the stats that prove that this is a, that this is an issue because oh, it's yeah, not. It's, it's terrifying, you know, all the mass murders that happen with unapproved form one suppressors. Oh, they're just rampant. Right. Well. <laughs> It's funny you say that, Johnson. Why? I would bet you in the next six months we say we see something, but I'm, I'm just a conspiracy. Yeah, theorist, but I don't know, I don't know. man. It's just it's, uh, all it all it really is is just more more evidence for the push of repealing the NFA completely. That's all it is. Yeah. It's like yeah. you guys, you you know, this whole and I mean they're. I suppose it makes sense because they're really trying to push getting rid of 80% uh, receivers. Yeah. You know, so the 80% receivers and basically kind of an 80% suppressor, they're trying to trying to push to get rid of all of this unregistered stuff. And that's, that's, therein lies the problem for me because it has always been legal to manufacture whatever the hell you want mm-hmm. in your own home in this country. And all of a sudden they're just like, no, we changed our mind. We don't like that. Well, fuck you. I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> I can see two sides of it in the sense of, like I can, I definitely really appreciate the idea of being able to make your own firearm at home. No problem. Like, and I think everyone should be able to do that. It's a cool thing. And you like you could you could argue that it's literally stripping your right to bear arms because yeah. you might not be able to go afford to be able to buy all this stuff, but you can build it because you have the to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could argue that. On the flip side, I can see some of the potential issue that it might draw up when people start making because you're you're legally allowed to manufacture one firearm per year, right? If I remember correctly, I think that's how the law is. But you have people with ill intent going and, and making 80 of these things unserialized, and then they throw it, and their their intent is actually really negative, and the ATF has no way to figure that out, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or be able to trace back where the actual source is. So, like, right. um, like this, and a lot of people get this wrong, too. People always think that the the ATF has this big list of exactly when you bought something uh, mm-hmm. based off your background. So it's actually false. Like no. when you buy something, you do a 4473 at our office or at whoever's gun dealer office, that paperwork, unless you call, get called in to do the background check. Like if you have a CCW, um, basically write down your concealed carry number and because that's your background check to us and put it in a file. The only time that number gets referenced in the future besides us putting it in our book that we transfer the gun to you is if you do something or if that gun pulls up in some kind of crime scene or investigation. Right. From that process comes back to us or the ATF comes to us says we want to see uh, or where did this gun get transferred to? Mm-hmm. We say, Oh, Sam or we, Sam bought a gun and then he gave or then he goes to Sam or the ATF goes to Sam. Hey, where'd this gun go? Oh, it went to Tiffy Johnson. Like, mm-hmm. and then there I come to you and blah, 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 down the line. So I yeah. can see where like that potential for issues drums up or in the, the case of the ATF, like, it, 
it's a weird, weird thing, right? Like you're playing with the fact that we have the right to be able to do this. And, and my thing, I guess, I guess my viewpoint in it on it is we've had the right to do it for 245 years. And the statistics say that crimes aren't committed with 80% firearms. They're committed with stolen firearms because usually criminals are fucking stupid. They're not smart enough to make their own firearm. They fucking steal them. They're dumb. So to me, that's, I always go back to, it is our fundamental right to be able to build firearms ourselves. There's, it doesn't matter how many regulations you put into place. And this is something that I say repeatedly on this on this podcast is it doesn't matter how many regulations you put into place. You can't regulate evil. And and if it comes down to somebody with ill intent. Right. So people are always going to want to do bad shit. So let's just make murdering people illegal, no matter what you use, a hammer, a gun. But we already did that. And see, that didn't help. So limiting the the ways in which, you know, regulating the ways in which people murder other people is only the only thing that does is create more charges for the person found guilty. Right. Right. uh, You're basically making more criminals is all you're doing. I think think the way you combat that is to have more firearms accessible to absolutely or or educate people whether that's i mean i don't know about you guys but like growing up my grandpa talked about having firearm safety classes in their high school and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and that's like there is not there there that doesn't happen really anymore I, i think it's regardless of your viewpoint of firearms i think being educated is never a bad thing wyoming and montana brother they still do public firearm awesome. training in the public schools, in the gym for yep. for elementary schools. And that shit should be everywhere. Absolutely. I, I remember doing like my hunter safety and fi- firearm safety course. I think I was eight. Mm-hmm. I think I was eight years old and I did it, you know, just at a local community center. Mm-hmm. And... uh got all that to be able to do like my youth pheasant hunting. Right. And I, I like to me being able to get firearms in the hands of more people. And, and that's a big thing that constitutional carry is doing for us here in Iowa. Right. And, and now this year, a bunch more States, which is incredible um, is basically kind of removing some limitations from people for being able to defend themselves. And honestly, you know, when in the wild West, when everybody was running around carrying a gun, how many murders were there, you know, percentage wise per capita, probably less than there is now in cities where you can't carry a gun. Right. You know, so to me, when, when more and more people are, are carrying as some guy who wants to rob somebody on the street, I would be a little more hesitant if, right. you know, there's, <laughs> if, am I going to go rob somebody in the middle of uh, Tennessee or Florida, or am I going to go rob somebody in California? What do you think is right. going to work right. out better for me? You know? Well, criminals are usually criminals of opportunity, right? Oh, like yeah. They see the easiest target or the easiest prey, and that's what they're going to lurk, lurk for, but 
mean, I, and that's where I, I, I always want people to be educated on whether it's firearms or personal defense or like jujitsu mm-hmm. or anything like that. Like, yeah, like be able to protect yourself so you're not prey, you know, and, and you might never have to pull your handgun out or I hope nobody does. Right. But, but if, if that opportunity is there and you, it, your life depends on it, fuck yeah, I want to know how to use it. Fuck yeah, yeah. I want to have it. Like, who wouldn't take that button, you know? Or in the case of like, uh, like protecting someone else's life, I mean, you might not, you might not necessarily save your life per se, but you might be saving someone else's life. And, and you think mm-hmm. that that person's gonna, regardless if they are anti-gun or whatever, are going to appreciate you at the end of the day. Yeah. I I think that's something that we should strive for is like Americans, right? Like, yeah, we're, we're all Americans. Yeah. We, there's bad people in the the world, but we want to protect each other and, and we're supposed to be a a country of unity, right? Like, yeah. 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 And, and the crazy thing is, is, you know, even even uh, a show as small as ours and, you know, if we can change one mind about, you know, maybe I maybe I should really think about a gun for protection or, you know, figuring something out. Because I think, you know, I've heard a couple of things these guys said and maybe, you know, protecting myself is a good idea. That that means everything, you know, is it's changing somebody's mind and, and getting someone to realize that. Their safety is their own responsibility. It's not anybody else. You know, it's not uh, policemen's. It's not. It's nobody's responsibility but their own. So, and yeah. I think I think that's a big thing that people need to understand. Yeah, absolutely. So I think back to the back to the solvent trap debacle. I think I think this is really kind of a turning point because I feel like they're opening themselves up to at this point, they're opening themselves up to a lawsuit because they blanket, blanket denied so many people, somebody Mm. is going to sue them. Hopefully. Um, and where that goes, it's hard telling. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of slam dunk to me, slam dunk cases in the courts that have went the opposite way. Mm -hmm. Um, but the problem is too, is that suppressors are not like, I mean, they're protected by the Second Amendment, but they're really not because they're on the NFA list. So, mm-hmm. right. I, I feel like I feel like the Supreme Court doesn't really truly realize our rights to have suppressors, and that's why there's a two hundred dollar tax stamp and whatnot. And a lot of people don't realize that that tax stamp was was in nineteen thirty was it nineteen thirty four? Yeah, something it's like right that. After the May Day massacre, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So basically. Uh, it was a tax that they put to basically limit who could have them. So two hundred dollars yeah. back in the thirties was what a car, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a it was a lot of money. So it was it was a very big deterrent. And now two hundred dollars, you know, especially with inflation, two hundred dollars ain't jack shit. It seems like anymore. Yeah. Um, it's a family trip to Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but so, it's, it's the family size, but it's just you there, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it depends on how many beers I have at the bar, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> beers are like seven or eight bucks there. All right, it don't take long. <laughs> so it'll it'll I'll be inter- <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Like I I almost guarantee there there's going to turn into a lawsuit, but whether or not it goes anywhere, I, you know, I hope it does. 
Lawsuits um, against the federal government tend to kind of just fizzle out. Yeah, it's weird how that works. It's almost <laughs> like we're not going to allow you to sue us, you know? So. Right. Well, the, the thing that people forget about is the federal government runs off of tax money, right? So yeah. You're paying, yeah, you're paying them. to fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's, yeah it's, that's a whole other argument. It's like, fuck, like, they, and their funds are unlimited. And yep. whoever ends up doing them probably is going to have limited funds to a certain extent. But yeah. 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 I mean, it's an uphill like battle opinion, for sure. Yeah. I mean, my opinion is there's never been clarity from how the processes need to be followed, whether that's like form one or form four or anything like that. And, and it's just kind of a, uh, here you go. Uh, figure this out and fuck up. We're going to come find you. <laughs> like, it's kind of right? like taxes. Weird. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> three letter agency, man. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so now, now the question is like on a lot of people's minds is all the people that build them from kits are those, are those illegitimate now? Because mm-hmm. they got approved before, but like even with diversified machine debacle before, they said if you had a diversified machine, a kit and you converted it into a form one that that's illegitimate because you should have had a form four and like so now everybody's all sorts of yeah it's like well i already had it approved i already had it approved and serialized and it's all right done and dusted so now you're telling me i went through all the hoops it's all good it's in record that it's a legal suppressor now and you're going to tell me now it's illegal before yeah. it was legal, so now I'm in trouble for before it was legal, even though it's now legal. <laughs> they still wouldn't know because the form one you don't have to supply or previously you never had to supply any right. documents to right. what it was. So, right, I mean, but they they also they got the diversified machines uh customer records and sent them all sure. all letters. So technically technically I'm not saying they're gonna do this, but if they were real assholes like they which they this, are they could cross reference hmm, this person has a diversified machine receipt as well as they filed a form one but i don't think they're i don't think that they're going to go to that extent i don't think they will either i don't think they'll do the whole door knocking hey we know no. you bought this shit right no, they ain't gonna right. go that far but i I don't know. And, and the problem, the problem with a lot of this shit is too, is like explaining it to people that aren't in the know. Like for me, for, for us three here, like, like we understand all this and we understand the consequences, mm-hmm. but the average Joe, like trying to explain this to them, they're like, why, why, why well, should I, mean, I care about this? You know? Well, it's a, I mean, so if you have a quote unquote illegal NFA item, it's $10,000 up to 25 years in prison. I mean, that's a big freaking stamp on your, or 10 years in prison, excuse me. But still, that's, I mean, that's a big, I mean, big chunk of change and and sometimes not for some people, but for others it is, but 10 years in prison doesn't sound like fun. No, that's a big chunk of your life at the very least. I mean, if you live a long fucking life, (laughs) drinking drinking whiskey (laughs) here, you know, that's a yeah. at the very at the very least that's a tenth of your life, man, and that's yeah. uh, that's that's a lot to give up. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, the like 
mixed up mixed opinions on the whole situation. But yeah, I mean, I think that like people need to one be patient and let the ATF come out with like whatever they're gonna come out with, then be able to move forward. Because trying to yeah. assume what they're gonna do and what their acts are gonna do, or obviously two ways. Or two. Yeah. I got I got option B. Do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> Don't ask permission. This is not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. Do whatever the this fuck is, you want. Keep it to yourself. Legal advice from Don't, my <laughs> Don't post it on the internet. Don't be an idiot. Just do whatever the fuck you want. Quit asking permission. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Preston, like, ultimately, like, obviously, nobody knows. You don't know. We don't know. But, like, where do you see? How do you how do you see this turning out? I really don't know. To be like genuinely, frankly, honest, uh, like, just with understanding the whole form process and how they've set it up previously. I mean, uh, the the form one I thought was a great application for people to be able to have like a hobbyist hobbyist approach to stuff. And people don't realize really the history of the form one and what some of those companies were really doing to bring new stuff to the even the actual like form four community. Oh, there's one company that started in the form one stuff and then moved to actually making form four suppressors now because he mm-hmm. he started literally doing it as a hobby and then grew it into a, a company and wanted to start doing it as like a full time gig and that's that's really cool to see too. I mean and and it's fodder precision if you're not seeing their like form four stuff. But I mean they're testing like second or third uh, like top sound suppression out of all the form four stuff. So I mean, it's kind of a big, uh, frankly speaking, it's a kind of a big middle finger to the the whole form four community. It's like, look, like a guy freaking wearing flip flops hanging out at his house has figured out how to build a better mousetrap or a better product than you guys. Like, yeah, like, and that's awesome to see ingenuity happening. And again, there's only so many ways that you can make a presser, right? Like far as design but being able to try different things and, and stuff like that i think that the the form one community has always been really cool in that aspect i mean you said that you're on the form one boards and whatnot you see literally every type of design or different blueprints on what people are trying and, and then to be able to get feedback on that stuff i mean from a from a company point of view it's awesome as a resource because you can almost open source your your library of data on what people are trying and, and doing stuff. And, and the fact that people are going to the extent to uh, do a tax stamp, go through the process and try to do it legally, is frankly, like my opinion, it's really frustrating to see that the, the ATF is limiting that again or cracking down on how people are going to do it. But my opinion on what they're going to do, I, I genuinely have no idea. I mean, I've, I've been in contact with the ATF and your guess is as good as mine, but they're supposed to supposedly this week they're supposed to um, give communication on on or clarification on that stuff. But sure, uh, sure. We'll, I mean, I would tell people that like your opinion, your opinion at this point, you know, the ATF is going to do what they want to do regardless. So yep, just hold tight and see what they say. Yep, and and you mentioned um, the guy, the guy in flip flops or whatever, um, kind of. The, that that community developing developing new technology and, and advancing shit and I think 
thing, obviously with like, you know, 3d printers, you can't print suppressors. I mean, people have, yeah, and it's actually, it's, it's actually crossed my mind. I just got a 3d printer, probably going to try it. I'm probably going to blow up a lot of shit, but well, I mean, like, yeah, you have the plastic ones. I'm all in. Right? <laughs> um, but, uh, like you have new 3d printers that you can print ink and L and a few different exotic metals and people are going for those. Yep. There, I believe it's the wave. That's a 3D mm-hmm. printed one. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. There's a couple other manufacturers that use 3D printers. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. eh. what's surprising to me, like in the case of like Daniel Defense, is they have the capability to design something with a 3D printer, 3D printing technology in mind. And they kind of went to the same go-to standard design. Still built a standard suppressor design. Like, yeah. Like, well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes yeah. sense, but from a from a design point of view, like if you have the ability to have additive technology, use it to its advantage and create something that's very unique and very, very, uh, or like do the due diligence on the science behind it and so make it work rather than. I think, I think my biggest question on that is do you think that was just proof concept? Can we 3D print a suppressor and it works? In ABS or in. Metal? I'm saying in. Uh, Daniel Defense's case. Do you think yeah, that's think just so. a proof of concept for them to like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna adapt. We're gonna you know purchase this technology. We're gonna you know make the investment. Let's not make the investment into a whole new suppressor design. All the R and D, all the engineering. Let's maybe print one of our more traditional suppressors, and and get a little return on investment on that three D printer. And see if we can actually legitimately rely on this as a resource. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for them, obviously, but if it was our company, I would be going into that mindset. Like, if we were going to invest into a 3D printer, and again, we have a variety of different outlets, how we could utilize that mm-hmm. that uh, technology. But you bet your ass that I'd be using that to its full extent, not just saying, oh, let's make a proof of concept to see if we can do it. Be like, well, we have it. Let's go ahead and see what the capabilities are and try to yeah. push the envelope now. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you're going to be stuck in a rabbit hole. Like, let's just say you have a relatively popular suppressor design that 3D printer is going to be going to the cows come home on making it, and you're not, never going to be able to get yeah. any new stuff out there. I mean, yeah, because those things are not cost, speedy. Right. No, right. I mean, I mean, I've got, I mean, my stepdad, he does, or he used to work for a company that had a bunch of 3D printers, uh, to do like jet nozzle stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would say that, I mean, they had, I think it was like eight, eight or 10, uh, uh, 3D printers. And then they're, they're terribly, uh, uh, like susceptible to breaking down and whatnot. So they have to have a full team of tech just to manage those specific, uh, uh, machine, so sure. it doesn't sound like the technology is quite there yet. But the thing that picked my brain or kind of clicked me was like, well, if I mean the general public is not going to necessarily have access to a PC or a 3D printer to be able to do this stuff, so you're automatically limiting who can have their who can do it again, and that like yep. to me is it's not right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that was one of the first things that I thought, like, when when I saw that email thread, the the ATF basically said, 
unless you have a, a CNC capability, you know, essentially said you're not going to be able to do form ones. That was, that's not how they said it, but that's essentially, you know, what they were saying. And it's like, well, so you're saying that the people like, I, I would love to, I'm building a, a benchtop CNC, you know, but people, so essentially anybody that's on the lower income scale, My hillbilly ass. Right. You're not I don't get be that. Able, Johnson's got like 74 kids. He can't afford shit. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it'll it'll be interesting to see how this all turns out. And, and you know, shit changes. Court cases happen. We get surprised. Um, yeah. We don't get surprised. You know, shit goes away. We, we see it going. Who knows? Who knows? It's all. Uh, we'll see how it all turns out. But um johnson it's after freaking it's it's eight after ten right now this is like one of our longest pod or longest gears and beers episodes in a long time and and preston i applaud you for sticking with us the whole time you're a you're a freaking trooper man oh yeah it's always fun to talk to other gun people i mean just hell yeah have have everyone kind of being on the same page talking about stuff fun yeah, well, thank you very much for for joining us, man. It was uh, it was great to talk to you. It was fun to have you on and uh, yeah. to pick your brain about stuff and to learn about creative arms. And actually, um, like I said, I'm an SLT and I'm in the in the market for a uh, a 30 cal can. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna hit you guys up for that. And I saw your uh, your your fu muzzle device. Oh yeah, fast <laughs> utilization, man. Hell yeah, I'm very intrigued by that. Both by yeah, the, so the way that it works and also the name of it. Yeah, so I mean, that muzzle device itself is, uh, I mean, we, to go back, or I guess kind of go back to history suppressors again, uh, like there's never been an industry standard, uh, in the suppressor industry, or at yep. least when we started making suppressors. Mm-hmm. So you had a bunch of different companies trying to make different adapters and blah, 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 blah. So basically you buy a suppressor. Where you buy a suppressor line, and then you have all the accessories that you have to to buy for those specific suppressors to work on your firearm. So, um, what's cool to see is the whole industry is starting to work towards a industry standard, um, which we're hoping to to do that on our our new suppressor line as well. But that uh, FU muzzle device uses a taper taper and thread pattern um, that was developed by Q uh, suppressors. So yep. um, it's a really unique design. Well, it's not really um, it's a really efficient and effective design in the sense that um, they're using papers to seal off the the suppressor from threading. So what that does is it does a couple things. Um, so firstly, it seals like I said, seals the suppressor off um, from the threads because if you've shot suppressors with just direct thread, um, carbon can actually go back through the threads and cause what's called carbon lock. So basically, you build up so much carbon inside the threads that it locks it on the gun. You have a have hell of a time trying to pull the suppressor off. So effectively using that taper, it seals it off. So there's virtually no carbon on the backside. Really cool. If you ever, if, if you look through the photos, I believe I put a photo up of, uh, of it with the carbon on there. Um, and kind of carbon versus on the credit. But, um, so then along with that, uh, that thread pitch is starting to become a lot more popular. So there's a couple other companies like Reardon make a couple different options. And I believe, uh, was it, I think it's Liberty Precision Machine, I think is the company. I'll have to, you'll have to double check on that, but they're selling a couple different variants too of the, uh, that same thread pitch. So 
it's just giving options to customers. Um, and as, as the suppressor industry moves forward, I think you're going to see kind of this similar, similar thread pitch or pattern get up. Um, for the backside of their suppressor is going to be a common thread pitch, which it looks to be that 1.375 by 28, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, so then you'll be able to interchange different adapters for your suppressor. So it's really cool to finally see that the industry is kind of coming to some common ground as far as what people can use. So that way they, they're not necessarily tied to one company, um, which definitely gives you a lot more options than you want to yep. have this person, blah, 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 muzzle device or the mm-hmm. next person. It makes it really easy to do that. So, yep. um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the lowdown on that thing. Yeah. And I, I, I have actually bought a solvent kit. Hell, it's been uh, a year ago and in typical Sam fashion, I've procrastinated and haven't finished <laughs> up, but I, no I remember way. I spent like, I spent like an insane amount of money on the freaking on the, uh, on the, the muzzle mount device. for it, yeah. the muzzle device and the mount for it. It was just absurd. It was like ridiculous amounts of money just because there are special mounts, you know, mm-hmm. and if I'm, I'm really hoping that we will get an industry standard and, you know, everything's not going to be so ridiculously priced, but um, yeah, it seems like, I mean, it seems to be the, the way forward. And especially if, if some of these form one uh, uh, companies start to, dial in their their products and move into the form four stuff i think you'll definitely see more affordable options out there Mm -hmm. um which will be really cool i mean still the biggest hurdle is the whole form four process anyway but uh, not necessarily spend like a thousand dollars on just suppressor um is definitely gonna intrigue a lot of people but there is something to be said about those thousand dollar products i mean like, uh, the suppressors themselves that usually cost that much are usually welded together and then they're EDM. So they're using a lot of specialty techniques to be able to get perfect alignment. And so mm-hmm. I mean, there was a reason that some of the stuff costs the amount it does. Um, oh, yeah. On some of the other stuff, it's just kind of like, well, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how everything technology wise progresses um but anyways it is it is a quarter after 10 we better uh we better let everybody know is it your bedtime time to party man (laughs) you know i'm it's sam's bedtime i'm gonna go have me another freaking whiskey i haven't even ate my supper yet and i already got a i already got a couple fingers of whiskey down so (laughs) but Preston, thank you so much for coming on i I greatly appreciate it I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna be reaching out to you here in the future shortly um, about Sweet. getting a, a can from you guys. And um, Johnson, it's been fun. You got any any closing thoughts before we uh, head her out? Um, the only thing I can think of is we don't we don't give out legal advice, so take everything <laughs> no, we, we say not. with a grain of salt. I you know. Preston's probably the voice of reason on this episode and is like, hey, here's how here's how you do, you know, a form one, a form four. This is the steps you need to take. And I'm just like, fuck it. Make it yourself. Fuck those guys. So, you know, we got both ends of the spectrum this week, which is probably good, which is probably good. So, uh, Preston, right. I, Preston, I do want to thank you for coming on. It's been awesome to talk with you. Um, 
really interesting topics and and I love what you guys do and especially being an Iowa based company uh, it's really nice to talk to somebody you know here local that uh, is very passionate about this kind of stuff and uh, and and really respects uh, USA made stuff so thank you guys again for having me it was fun, so. yeah cool. absolutely I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime so Anyways, guys, thanks for sticking around. We appreciate everybody else, all the listeners sticking around uh, for this long. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, make sure you're checking out all the uh, past episodes on lifeshortlivefree.com as well as on major podcast providers. Make sure you check out our sponsors, uh, Ballistic Imagery and Shyworks as well. And go to creativearms.com and check them out, all their products over there, as well as on their Facebook and uh, you said YouTube as well, right, Preston? Yep. yep. Yeah, absolutely. And Instagram. They kicked me off of that. I'm not on there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks, guys. Until we talk to you then, make sure to, uh, to uh, keep on living free. And remember, life short, live free. God bless. God bless the United States of America. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Remember, guys, we need to uh, repeal the NFA, defund the ATF, grow food, become ungovernable. Melt goats. See you next time. Ha, <laughs> ha,